Today, I had the pleasure to talk to Maximilian Rast. Maximilian is co-founder of Klar, an all-in-one BI tool for growing D2C brands. He was also an advisor to companies like Brunner and Yfoods and was previously CMO at Ottonova, a company that has raised more than 80 million in venture capital and is projected to be among Germany's next unicorns pretty soon. He's also a massive pro when it comes to D2C in general and sharing extremely valuable insights on his LinkedIn for free all the time. So check him out there. This episode has just been absolutely value-packed uh, with a lot of insights on how to measure and push D2C growth. I have no doubt that you'll enjoy it. Let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Get Busy Building podcast, Maximilian. Awesome to have you, have you as a guest. You are a pro in the D2C space. You have seen and uh, worked with hundreds of brands, like many, many, many brands. Maybe you can just give a little bit more context. First, how did you get to Klar, the company you're building now? Um, what was the path to that uh, venture now? And also, like, where does your interest and um, ambition to work with D2C brands come from? Like, what's, what's, your, what's the journey there? Yeah, uh, great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Quite a few questions there. I tried to keep it brief <laughs> and quick. Um, so I've been in marketing for consumer brands for the last 10 years, started out building a well, Zalando clone, so like fashion e-commerce in Cape Town, uh, South Africa. I did that for four years, also got into marketing there, moved back to Germany, uh, became CMO of Otto Nova, private health insurance company, so completely different game. And then after that, I decided to do something on my own and got together with two of my friends and they were still, you know, busy um, with their current gigs. So I took on an advisor role at YFood, which is one of the largest and fastest growing D2C companies in, in Europe. And that's how we really got back into the D2C game and also discovered the need for what we're currently building at Kla, um, namely kind of saw that everybody is still using sort of spreadsheets and data studio to manage their business. Um, everybody's like building like their own thing. It's not really great. And everybody kind of, yeah, is struggling with it. And that's why we're now at cloud building like a data operating system for growing e-commerce companies. And why do I love D2C and e-commerce so much? So there's a couple of things. So first of all, I think it's like a very nice combination of uh, working with numbers, people and product, like actual physical products. So that's quite nice. And now also in terms of a larger community, I love the fact, and I've now spoken to like, I don't know, a hundred of, hundred of founders in the last year. It's a super diverse background. There's not, like, not one type of person that can start a successful D2C company. It's like a bunch of different backgrounds, bunch of different people. And it's just a huge variety of personalities you can speak to and just providing, you know, opportunities of building a great company for many types of people. Yeah, as you, as you know, the, the Get Busy Building podcast is about extracting practical insights for people to actually use in, in their businesses, in their ventures, in their operations. And um, I think, yeah, with you, we have here uh, someone who's very well versed in D2C, especially looking at your or reading your LinkedIn posts, which I recommend everyone highly to check out. Um, it's, it's amazing what like, the depth of knowledge you share there. And maybe we can get, go into a few topics that um, I've seen come up in conversations with D2C brands over and over again. Since you've seen so many brands scale, do you see um, CACs going up a lot? Once, you know, maybe you get funding, you, you put more in marketing, you grow. Many struggle with that a bit. What, what type of developments do you see there usually? And how do D2C companies or how should they cope with CACs 
potentially going up as they scale and as they put more money into marketing? Good question. I haven't looked at it like across all the brands that are using our product from that perspective, especially as they start to scale. As a general trend, you know, we'll see is that I think there's a term called the law of shitty cohorts. Uh, that as you scale, you know, your cohorts get a bit worse, your acquisition costs get a bit more expensive. There was definitely a trend for that in the last, last year also, but that's mostly driven through the ad market. I think as a general sense, you know, I see that the best brands are less affected by that. You know, obviously there are like some industry trends that, that happen that lead to driving up of acquisition costs, but uh, it's not driven by them increasing their budget obviously depending on the size of their target market and how far they have scaled already. And usually what you would find is that the best brands can, can offset any increases in CACs that they have through you know, um, being able to better monetize those people in the future. How do you think about attribution, let's say for your target customer at CLA, which is I think that a company from 10 to 100 employees, in D2C, right, uh, selling different products, what type of problems come up there? Maybe it's start with that. Like, what do you see the biggest challenges for these customers and attribution? Good question. There's obviously been some development in the market now, also with you know um, more regulation in terms of privacy, what can be tracked and cannot be tracked. Overall, I think attribution is oftentimes used as a scapegoat. You know, it's like it's like seen as the silver bullet. Like, if I only had perfect attribution, you know, everything would be so clear and easy. The reality is that no attribution is perfect and I have implemented attribution at a company. I have talked to many people who have implemented attribution at a company. It's an incredibly long and I would also say painful process. And at the end of the day, like you not really always get the result that you're looking for because let's say that your normal, whatever you're using before has like a 50% accuracy of, or like it's 50% of reality. With attribution, you maybe move closer to that, right? But the problem is you don't really know how much closer you move to reality. And so the discussions you keep having, they don't stop. You know, you keep arguing our model is not reflecting, you know, this channel accurately because it's not considering ABC. And so if you, you know, feel like using attribution will give you like security in your decision making, you're going to be in for trouble. And the only real best way I think there's one accurate way to really measure attribution uh, and it's just through incrementality and holdout testing. And that's also what I've done mostly. And also if you now look at the reality of most D2C brands, they don't have an incredibly complex channel mix. If you now have 10 channels, you're all spending significantly on, okay, attribution will help you sort of understanding how do things fit, fit together. But the average D2C brand, they have like one dominant channel, like maybe a secondary channel, you know, and that sort of makes up 18, 90% of your budget. And that, you know, you could say is a problem. You are dependent and sure. But at the end of the day, I think it's also very natural for a lot of brands until they get very, very big. They have like one channel that will drive 50% of their revenue. And especially now with like competition increasing more and more. I think it also makes sense to double down on something that is working and become great at something. If you average at everything, you can't win. You have to be great at one thing, at least to, you know, build a foundation that you then can layer things out on top. How do you think attribution should in the end impact decision-making? I mean, like if I have a brand 
have these one, two dominant channels. How should I, you know, maybe how should I go about attribution at all? Maybe, uh, and, and then also second part, how should it in, impact like my decisions at all? So, I mean, if you're like a typical D2C brand, you make like, I don't know, 10 million in revenue per year. Um, you have two dominant channels uh, and a few other things on the side. What I probably would do is that I would plan incrementality tests and that can start very simple with, okay, if I increase my monthly budget by 20, 30 K, I don't distribute that evenly across my channels. I put everything in one channel and sort of see how the marginal returns within that channel are and what can I actually realize from that channel. I think that's a very operating friendly way to do it. If you want to do proper incrementality and holder tests to so literally split off marketing in like one part of your business and one area of your business, that's something that you need to plan for because obviously it will impact your top line. So already when you're in planning and budget season, uh, you should uh, include incrementality tests in your forecast. Otherwise you will never get to them because you're always under pressure to hit your targets. So those are two things I, if you've reached that size, I would do. Also, I think now with tracking getting more difficult, implementing post-purchase uh, post service and sort of like asking the people what was the main driver, what marketing channel was the main driver for your, for your conversion is also an extremely good data point to have. All right, let's, um, since we only have limited time, let's, let's jump to the next one. And that's the topic of uh, retargeting. And as far as I understand, you know, that's also something you um, address with, with Klar um, very specifically, right? For example, I recently talked to a couple of DTC brands who um, yeah, told me that they needed to cut down on marketing for some reason, uh, they couldn't invest so much in growth, and they were now reliant um, until the next funding round to really uh, leverage their, their existing customers. I mean, obviously you have a customer base, you can use them, but maybe you can also like be too aggressive and lose some customers again. How do you think about retargeting? What do you see are like the, the biggest levers there um, to, um, to, to activate? And then maybe let's go mm -hmm. later how you maybe also uh, approach it with Klar. So yeah, uh, just in terms of context, so we don't do retargeting at Klar. We do a lot of uh, retention and retention reporting, understanding how you're retaining your customers and what is working in terms of retaining your customers. So I think when we come to retaining your customers and maximizing retention, the biggest driver is your product and your product experience. You've never... I've never ever bought a product again I didn't like just because I got a cool email. You know, you have to like the product and you have to have a good product experience. Otherwise, like your retention is, um, you know, it's not going to be great. And obviously there are products which are more, more likely to be repurchased again than others there aren't. So there's like not one benchmark that works for everyone. But so that it starts with a good product. And then, you know, you obviously could start milking your customer base and offer discounts and discounts and discounts that will work for a short period of time, but will, you know, seriously uh, harm you in the long term. So I would never really advise that. And then if, you know, have a great product, a great product experience, and now you want to think about how can I keep increasing my retention rate, my repeat rate, my frequency, there are a couple of things that you can do. So if you look at your active customers, you could look at, okay, how can I increase feature or how can I increase feature usage or frequency of usage? Maybe there are multiple use cases of my product and my customer is only using one of them right now. So sort of showing them what are the other ways my product can be used. Same way as with usage intensity. So maybe he's already using it for a certain use case, 
but only in a certain context and you can use it like for more from for and in more context of the product so it's very much about education on that side and then for you know specific products for example especially if you have food products i think something like new flavors always work um usually people if they have a food product uh, or drinks product then they will they will stick to one quite heavily but after some time they get they get bored of it so bring adding in some variety into your product offering is also always so uh, a great way to to um yeah get people to come back and then when we talk about customers you know kind of already churned so not really active anymore it's obviously a lot more difficult but here you know things uh if you have updated your product and maybe improved your product that could be useful maybe again coming back to the use cases maybe they've used your product for a certain thing and now that sort of usage life cycle has come to a natural end which happens but maybe you could now show them okay hey if you've used this for this you can actually also use the product for the other thing and then maybe they say okay that's actually also cool i'm going to start using that product now again for this different purpose and i start a new product life cycle again and then you do have some seasonality things that you might could latch onto um as well as and on that segment i would say it's also useful to look into incentives uh what of those three do you think um has the highest leverage is there something that, that stands out there the easiest and i think the one the only thing that i would say 99% of the brands do in terms of getting churn customer back is is incentives but it's also you know a question of how you want to build your brand and uh how do you want to be perceived and i see like more and more brands realizing okay discounting is not really sustainable long term strategy so if my product offers it i would always try to look into you know new use cases first is there a different way uh to 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 use my product um that i can show to people yeah that would be my go to if i can um and then do you see uh, certain channels working the best for for retention or like for maximizing retention um or is it also very hard to say <laughs> the best channel i've ever done for for uh retention is further first order experience so we've uh when i was in south africa we played quite a bit around with what is in that first order what kind of little gifts and things we can add to that order and that was the biggest impact in retention uh, i've seen across everything i've done so yeah focus on that and when it comes back to the first product yeah. and the first order experience things in terms of channels once you're past that like your own own audiences you know for through email um or maybe whatsapp coming up now are obviously the first one to try but you're probably not going to reach everyone with that so it's again probably going to be a bit of a mix between different channels to try to push out those those messages based on the you know different activation levels that I that I mentioned before and can you maybe talk a little bit about like how you address uh, retention with clar so if, if if i become a clar customer how do you how you tackle that problem what, what additional insights or or solutions do i have access to so first of all we obviously help you to you know calculate customer lifetime value extremely accurately by also integrating the financial data on a cohort basis uh, by allowing you to slice and dice different pockets of your customers to identify those that actually generate the highest lifetime value and the highest repurchase rate uh, so that you can focus your your marketing and activities beyond that we help you understand the natural users frequency so how frequently Uh, are people using your product what are the buying patterns 
which of your customers are currently active, which are at risk of churning so that you maybe want to start communicating a bit more well, proactively towards them. You know, those are all things that, that our product already can, can, can do today. Maybe just to touch on one, one uh, interesting topic um, that um, I see be top of mind for D2C brands many, many times, and that's the, the topic of influencer marketing. I feel like it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge for all of them. Um, I feel, feel like many think that it's become very expensive. Um, it's also a bit maybe intransparent. I see that uh, you know, people are trying to find creative ways to incentivize, incentivize influencers, maybe with revenue shares, maybe with like longer collaborations and so on. Since this must have been a topic for you in many conversations as well, like what do you think about the effectiveness of this channel at the moment? Like um, also in terms of its, its costliness, um, like the ROI in essence on, on that channel um, and yet also maybe some best practices that, um, mm. that stand out there um, based on your experience. Um, so I've seen it work firsthand extremely well. So I'm definitely a big believer in the channel. That doesn't mean it will work for everyone. You know, nothing works for everyone. But I think in most cases, it's uh, definitely worth exploring. A couple of things. So I think the best influencers, they don't need to revenue share deals anymore. You know, if you can get that, great. You know, celebrate. But they usually won't. Um, why should they take the risk if they have enough other people knocking on their doors? Then always also interesting to look into what are maybe communities or influencers that are less in demand. If you, you know, want to work with influencers that everybody wants to work with, that will just increase the prices without necessarily better performance. Like it's just normal market dynamics. The more people want to work with you, the higher you can set your prices. So maybe just also try to think what are other places your customers are that are maybe not the most, you know, well-known influencers. I think what you also have to be prepared for, it is very difficult from the outside even if you've done this for a long time to identify if an influencer is going to work for you. This year, there could be like mm. 10 people who look from the outside based on what they post about their engagement metrics. Um, they look the same or almost the same. And then you start the partnership and like two of them work, two of them work extremely well and just eight don't. Mm. So when they work though, they tend to work for a long period of time. So you have to almost be prepared to, you know, be extremely inefficient initially to identify those that work for you. And then you can, you know, continue to work with them over time and sort of build up your stack of efficient influences. So over time, the program, your influencer program should increase in efficiency. And, and so you're saying like, maybe again on that, on that part of um, how to identify the best upfront it's you, you're pretty much um, without big options there because you say like it's hard to to um, to assess that upfront. You basically need to start working together, right? Or is like anything that that you would look at maybe or test? Mostly engagement. I think the stronger the engagement is, the better. The higher the the or the stronger the community factor is of that influencer, and then just also product influencer fit. Obviously, it means to like work extremely well and. The more unique the fit is, you know, the better. So, I mean, if, if I'm a fashion brand and I'm just going to like a, let's say standard fashion influencer and I'm the fifth fashion brand, they're like, show it this month, like it's, you're not going to stand out. So um, the more unique um, the fit is, the more unique your product is, um, makes it, makes it easier. Max, it was a value packed 
conversation. Um, I have no doubt that some of the listeners will be able to, to really uh, benefit a lot from some of your insights. Almost too much feels like a free consulting session. <laughs> um, where, where can people uh, find you? Where can they uh, follow you the best? Is it, is it LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? Like, what are your yeah. main channels? So far, pretty much is LinkedIn. So that's also one of the most active. Uh, I have uh, I have have a New Year's resolution to also be a bit more on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, maybe you can give me a small boost. But uh, otherwise, uh, LinkedIn for sure. Super cool. Thank you. Um, I think what you're doing with Clara is amazing. Highly appreciate it. And um, yeah, thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much.